And if you've got your Bibles, uh, go to Mark chapter 5. That's where we're going to be this morning. We're looking uh, at the Gospel of Mark. We've been walking through it for a few weeks, and we're just walking through it chapter by chapter, uh, trying to see how Mark is, is asking and answering uh, the question that he lays out in the very beginning of Mark, that Jesus is the Son of God, and he has um, been building his case that Jesus is, in fact, the Son of God, and he's leading us uh, down the road. He's leading us on a journey so that we can fully understand who Jesus is. And this morning, we look at Mark chapter 5, which is uh, this unique picture that Mark is going to give us um, in this gospel. And, it, and what hangs in the air just before we get to Mark chapter 5 is uh, the scene where the disciples, they're on this boat, and they were, uh, we, we looked at it at the end of last week, and the storm comes up, and uh, they, you know, they think they're going to perish. They wake Jesus up. Jesus calms the, the storm, uh, tells, you know, be peaceful, you know, shalom. He speaks this over the storm. And, and then not only does the storm stop, but the, the crashing waves, it, it, the, the sea becomes becomes calm. And we're left in that scene. The disciples are there on the boat, and they're looking at each other. And the last thing that they say, in fact, the last thing the disciples will stay, say for a couple of chapters is, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? And so that, that's hanging in the air. I mean, they've listened to Jesus teach. They've seen Jesus do miraculous things. But all of the sudden, it's like they are struck with a, with a new kind of, of terror, this fear, this awe. And they, they, they realize they, they, they haven't even begun to grasp who Jesus is. And so, so this, you know, who is this then? Who could this be? Well, that's hanging in the air. And then Mark is going to tell us uh, three stories. In fact, the last two stories, they're intertwined with each other. And uh, the first story he tells us in Mark 5 is the story of the man who is possessed by a legion of demons. And then he moves on, and there's, a, there's a, uh, a, a guy named Jairus, who's the leader of a synagogue. His daughter's dying. He comes and, 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 and begs Jesus at his feet to come and save his, his daughter. And in the middle of that, there's a woman who has had a, a hemorrhage, an issue with blood for 12 years, and she shows up, you know, tries to sneak into the crowd, touch Jesus' garment, and he you know, old time stops, and there's this moment between her and Jesus. And so I want to look at those. I, to do that, I want to read the, the first of the three stories where Jesus heals the man possessed by a legion of demons. And then I want us to walk through the, uh, the second story. I, we'll, we'll dip into the text here and there, and then make some conclusions about it at the end. So this is how Mark begins to answer the question, who is this then that even the wind and the sea obey him? Beginning in Mark chapter 5, verse 1, this is how Mark says it, they came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. 
disorient you really quick. They've come across the Sea of Galilee. They get off on the east side of the Sea of Galilee, and on the east side, you've moved into the area of the Gentiles. It's known as the Decapolis. There's these 10 cities that were settled by Herod, and it's where the Gentiles in the region lived. So, he's been amongst the Jews. Now, he's come across the lake, and he's going to be there amongst the Gentiles for this one scene. He'll be with some Gentiles a little later, but, but this, is, this, is what, this is where he is. And it says, and when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs. He, he lived in a cemetery. And no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he'd often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart and he broke the shackles in pieces, and no one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? And he replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send him out of the country. Now, a herd of pigs was feeding here on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, Send us to the pigs. Let us enter them. So he gave permission. And the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs, and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea where they were drowned. The herdsmen fled, and told it to the city and in the country, and people came to see what, uh, what it was that had happened. And, and they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the, the one who had legion, sitting there, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and, and to the pigs. And they brought Jesus, uh, and they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with the demons begged him that he might come with him. And Jesus did not permit him, but said to him, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he's had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. If you would, would you bow with me? Let's pray. Father, help us this morning to hear these words. Uh, Father, help us this morning to catch a glimpse of Jesus, the, the one that the disciples stood dumbfounded in the, in the boat asking, who, who is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Father, we want to see Jesus clearly this morning. 
We ask this in His name and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, th three miracles, three stories, three lives that are going to be transformed by Jesus. And he begins, Mark does, with this, this man, this, this man who has this untamable power uh, uh, possessed by demons. And, and the very presence of Jesus is going to subdue that power. The, the very presence of Jesus in that area causes this man that no one could restrain to, to run to Jesus and to bow down before him. The, the truth is, this, this first story, it, it's not really a story about faith. It's not, it's not a story about this, you know, what Jesus does in transforming this man, although he, he does transform this man. This man does exhibit faith. But, but what it's about is, in answering, who is this man? Mark gives us this picture of, hey, this is, a, this is an invasion. This is a heavenly invasion into demonic territory. And this heavenly invasion by Jesus, he, he is going to reclaim this territory for the kingdom of God. And in a, in a sense, that is what the whole coming of Jesus, the Son of God, is doing. Coming into a world that is broken, one that is under the power of, of what Paul will call the prince of the power of the air. One whose design is your demise. One who loves chaos and loves sin and loves seeing lives destroyed. And the whole broken system of a broken world is designed to perpetuate the misery of mankind. And Mark's giving us a picture of Jesus, the Son of God, the eternal Son of God, who shows up in the midst of this kingdom to reclaim what is His. Who is this man? Well, that's who He is. Mark begins in the first five verses, this, this uh, prolonged uh, description of this man who is, is really in a living hell, if you will. You, you know, the, the story, the, the way Mark records it, if, if you were to make a movie of it, or, you know, it, it would be TVMA. That, that's all that it could be. I mean, there's violence, there's horror, there's harm to animals. I mean, there'd have to be like a little, you know, warning. Um, animals really were harmed in the, uh, the you know, it would not be PETA approved in no way this is a story is. It's a terrifying scene. In fact, verse 4, it highlights, listen, he, he doesn't have, nobody had the strength to subdue him. That this man has a power that is, that, that's, you know, that, that superhuman kind of power here, not chains or shackles or a, Tomb or, you know, could tame or control this sort of chaotic storm that was inside this man. It's a fear to those around him. He was a harm to himself. It's the picture of what it looks like. You know, I'm kind of at a 
at a grand scale of what, what it is. Uh, well, you know, when something's in the grip of Satan, something's in the grip of the enemy, this is the, the outcome. And the strategy Jesus is going to employ, it's not restraining evil. I mean, restraining evil, obviously, that's not effective. You, you try to restrain evil, it always breaks through the chains. Well, in verse 6, it's the very presence of Jesus. I mean, he catches a glimpse of Jesus, sees Jesus from afar, and he runs and he falls down in front. It's sort of, the, the, you know, uh, this destructive power in this man is brought to complete submission. The, the unclean spirit, the evil spirit, you know, it recognizes who Jesus is, and you see, lives in this horrible anticipation of the ultimate doom that awaits him. The, 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 these demons, they, they don't want to leave the area. They, 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 they don't want to be, you know, uh, uh, disembodied. They, they want to be embodied. They, they know what awaits them if they get sent out of here. So the demonized man, this man possessed with demons, he's going to fall down at the feet of Jesus. This is not an act of worship, but it is an act of surrender. Jesus has authority. He has power. And they they say to him, so why are you here is essentially what they're saying. This isn't the time yet. The kingdom of God confronts the kingdom of evil. And every single time in Mark's gospel, the demons recognize Jesus' true identity. What the disciples did not fully grasp. So who who is this then? This one. Well, the demons are going to be the first to answer it after that. So, you know, Jesus, son of the most high God, that's who he is. In, In Mark Chapter 1, you already have demons saying, Jesus, you're, you know, you're Jesus of Nazareth. Have you come to destroy us? We know who you are. You're the Holy One of God. In Mark chapter 3, Mark says, Whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God. The very presence of Jesus renders the enemy defeated. And so in verse 7, they adjure him, which really the same word for prayer. They, they beg him. They pray to him, if you will. Don't, don't send us away. Jesus in verse 9 asks, you know, what's your name? He said, well, with legions, our name, which Mark, writing to a Roman audience, would not have been lost on the Roman reading this. 6,000 demons is what he's saying. And then you get to 10, verses 10 to 13, and this is this odd and surprising scene. The request they make of Jesus. So in Luke's gospel, Luke records this, so does Matthew. In Luke's gospel, it, the demons say, well, we don't want to be assigned to the abyss 
and in Matthew's gospel that they're worried that the torment that they know is coming is going to come before it's supposed to. In Mark here, they don't want to be sent out of the country. They've, they've, it's like they've taken this area, this region, and they don't want to be sent out. In verse 11, you get a parenthetical note. By the way, there's a great herd of pigs feeding on the hillside. So the demons ask. They beg Jesus because they know his authority. Can you just say the word and we'll go into the pigs? Maybe that an unclean spirit's at home with an unclean animal. And there's so many questions at this point that runs through our minds as readers. Mark simply doesn't answer the questions. I don't know about you, but I read this. It's been all week. I got a thousand questions about the demons, and I, you know, a thousand questions about, okay, a legion, 6,000 have possessed this man, and, and, and then can they possess animals? I mean, I've seen animals that I thought were possessed, owned an animal I thought was surely possessed by a demon. But there's a, there's a whole bunch of questions, and there's all these questions, and, and Mark's not, not going to answer the questions for us. In verse 13, you know, the, they go into the, you know, the, so he gave permission, and the unclean spirits come out, they enter the pigs, and the herd, numbering 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and were drowned in the sea. You, you got to imagine the scene. 2,000 pigs squealing at the top of their lungs, rushing down a hillside or probably rushing over a cliff into the sea and drowning. It's this visual picture of the chaos and the evil that was going on possessing this, this man. It's what was going on in inside of him. Listen, that's the way sin gets a hold of us. That's the way evil gets a hold of us. But whether possessed, you know, demon-possessed or not, sin has this, this chaotic and uh, evil power that, that comes with it. And, and who is this man? Jesus? Listen, not only does he have power over demonic and evil forces, he, we're going to see he has the power to, to bring to bear the healing and wholeness of this man. In fact, it, the text is going to show us that this power, this power to bring healing and peace to this man, that's going to elicit its own kind of fear. Look again at, at verse 14. The herdsmen, they fled. They, they go run to the city. They run to the country. They, they begin to tell everybody what it is that they'd seen. And, and then, so everybody comes and they, in verse 15, and they see the demon, they see Jesus, and they see the demon-possessed man, the one who had had legion. And he's sitting there in his right mind. It, 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 it's kind of the windstorm and the waves, a great calm, a, a peace has come over them. And then it says, and they were afraid. And they began to beg Jesus 
to leave the region. See, there's a kind of fear that might, that might draw you to Jesus. Uh, uh, an awe. Uh, a reality of his power and his authority. And, and there's a place in you that there's no place I would rather be than there. It's terrifying or uncertain as it might feel. You know, that's why C.S. Lewis in the Chronicles of Narnia has a great conversation, and they're asking about Aslan, you know, the, the lion, the, the, the Christ figure. And Lucy said, well, is he, is he safe? <laughs> and, and the, you know, the, the beaver said, safe? No, 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 I never said anything about safe. But he's good. There's that kind of awe and fear. There's another kind that drives you away from him. You just want to get away. Now, Mark doesn't tell us why they, they beg him to leave. Maybe he's bad for business. Maybe they prefer pigs over people. Maybe they prefer financial security more than they favor life change. But Mark doesn't give us an answer. But it could be that we're to feel the, the sadness of that scene, that these people are begging Jesus to leave, him, to leave them alone. And the thing is, Jesus does. He's going to get in a boat, and he's going to leave. Now, here's the irony of the story. As he's getting in the boat, the man, they're begging him to leave. Jesus grants that request. This man comes, this demon-possessed man. essentially says, look, don't leave me behind here. Jesus says, no, you're not coming with me. You're going to stay where you are. And then it's going to be the first time Jesus is actually going to send out a missionary. He's going to say, go and, and tell. And the man's going to be said to have went and proclaim. The first missionary in Mark's gospel. And what you realize is that even though Jesus is leaving, he's not really leaving. He's sending a witness. These people aren't going to get away from Jesus as easily as they think. And this, this is grace. It's interesting in verse 20, Mark notes that, and everyone marveled. The man goes about the Decapolis and he starts telling everybody, he goes, listen, I don't know if you remember me or not. I was the guy that lived in the cemetery. You'd hear me howling at night. You'd invent chains and I'd break them. That was who I was. And, and listen, I'm not, who I, I'm not who I was anymore. I've been changed. I've been transformed. The evil in my life Man, it met with an authority and a power that the world's never seen. And he begins to tell all that Jesus had done for him. And then it says, and everyone marveled. 
Here's a note from one commentator. He says, the man's countrymen rejected Jesus and implored him to leave. But when one of their own proclaimed the good news of the Savior, they responded favorably, presumably in belief. What amazed them? The man's restored life. You see, your scars bear witness to the reviving and restoring and saving power of Christ. He turns those shameful marks into emblems of honor. That your life, your transformed life, is a witness for Jesus. Reminds us of Mark 1 where he says, hey, listen, if you got a light, don't hide it under a bushel. Yeah, I mean, you, you, you're meant to be light. Don't hide the light. You, you're, you're to be light. You, you're, your life is to reflect the power of the Savior whom you have encountered. And, I, you know, we can be honest, right? We're, we're good light hiders. The church is good bushel. We'll hide our light under it. And there are those that have rejected Jesus all scattered all through our life. And like this man, we're called to them to tell all that Jesus has done for us. Well, he, he gets gonna, Jesus is going to get in the boat. He's going to leave this garrison area, and he's going to go back over to, presumably, it's probably Capernaum is where he ends up landing. And he gets off the boat, and, 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 and people begin to, to clamor him. And there's this guy, Jairus. And Mark gives us his name because likely when Mark's writing this gospel, people would, would still know Jairus. Possible Jairus is still alive, or people would have remembered him and certainly would have remembered his daughter. And certainly she's still alive. And, and uh, uh, Jairus is the ruler of a synagogue, which means he's an elder. He's, he's, like, he's like the Jason Chandler of the synagogue. And he would oversee, uh, you know, all of the, he'd make sure, you know, they had the rabbi in or the, you know, the people. He, he was part of the religious leaders. He was part of the people who had been on, the, you know, dogging on the heels of Jesus. Part of the people that would have been, you know, whether he was personally or not, part of the group that was plotting against Jesus. And man, everything changes. You, you go you know, from skepticism to humility at a point of desperation. And this man hits a point of desperation, and his daughter is dying, and there's nothing he can do. And so what he does is he seeks Jesus out and falls at his feet and begs him, it says, in verse 23, implores him, saying, begging is the same word. My little daughter is at the point of death Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And what Mark's done is he's snuck a word in there for us. This word made well. It's the Greek word sozo. It means to save, to deliver. 
He's going to use it a few times in this passage. Well, the man's desperate. And in this case, the desperation he has is this, is this gift from God. And he comes and he begs to Jesus because she's at the point of death. She, she, she's at the very end. And he said, I want, if, if you came and touched her, you could save her. C.S. Lewis says, pain plants the flag of truth within the fortress of a rebel soul. The father is no longer the proud official of the synagogue. He's a humble, broken daddy whose daughter lays dying. And you feel it. So in verse 24, you've got the urgency. So, so, so he went with them and the great crowd followed him and they were thronged, thronged about him and, and, and now the, the scene builds and you're, and you're you know, you, you feel it. Oh my, oh man this is the opportunity. Jesus and the religious leader and they're going to save the daughter and can they get there in time? I mean she's at the very end. I mean she's in her last breaths and you're meant to, to feel this you know, it's kind of like that, anybody ever watched the show with Kiefer Sutherland, 24? You know, you know, you spend that whole, you know, 60 minutes, that really isn't 60 minutes, it's 40 minutes, but somehow they make you think it's 60 minutes. And then they do it 24 times. And, and every episode is just at the edge of your seat, that this is where we are. And then all of a sudden... The scene breaks. It, we're, we're, you know, the, the stress is high, the intensity is high, the, the anticipation is high. And all of a sudden, in verse 25, Mark says, And then there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had. She was no better, but rather grew worse. In verse 25 and 26, introduce the, the conflict or, or sort of the foil in the story. There they are. They're rushing to the daughter. They got to get to the daughter. And all of a sudden, here's this woman who for 12 years has been sick. And not only that, she's got a story. She's got a long story. That probably over the 12 years she'd sold, told so many times there's not a person around that would stop to listen. People would see her coming and say, well, she's unclean. I can't really get into a conversation with her because I can't go through the ritual of cleansing. I'd just pretend like you don't see her. This is who it is. She'd been unclean for 12 years, physically miserable, but also socially isolated. She'd been cut off religiously. You know, she couldn't have participated in anything that the religious community was doing. I mean, her life was defined by discouragement and disappointment and humiliation, and, and you feel this. And this woman, she's going to throw a wrench into everything. 
And then in 27, 28, Mark gives you, the, so you, this is what's going on in her thinking. This is what's going on inside of her, her mind. So she, she'd heard reports of Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I, if I touch even his garment, I'll be made well. I mean, the, the, the reports of Jesus, I mean, sparked this new hope in her. She tried everything. She'd spent all of her money. She had nothing. But maybe, maybe Jesus. So, so her sneaky behavior here, you know, I mean, it tells you that she didn't think she was worthy, and she certainly didn't want to bother this man. She's trying her best to go unnoticed. Verse 28, if I just touch his garment, you know, it's probably a little superstition in, in her, which means she didn't fully understand what was going on. And in, then in 29 and 33, she gets way, way, way more than she bargained for. And, and, and let me just say, that's, that's how it goes with Jesus. I mean, there are people that, maybe you're one this morning, maybe you're here, and you think, well, I'm here, so things in my life are a mess, and I want to I know I need to get closer to Jesus, but man, I hope nobody notices me. I just, I'm just here. I just need to hear, if I could just hear a word from him, if I could just feel his presence. I don't need much. I just need a little bit. Just a little bit of hope, just a little bit of, and that's great. I'm so glad you're here. I, I, I am. And, and for every, every time and every week that, that somebody shows up in that place, I just, if I could just catch a little glimpse of it, but, but I mean, I, I'm, I'm not, I didn't come here for my life to be upended. I, I, just, I just came here to get me through this moment. So I'm glad you're here. But I've got to be honest and tell you, Jesus has so much more in mind for you. It's so much more in mind for this, the, this woman I mean, she's going to get so much more than she bargained for. Look at what happens. This is immediately the flow of blood dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of the disease. Boom, she's healed like that. And then Jesus, perceiving in himself. Now, Mark is writing this with his tongue in his cheek, by the way, okay? Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned around to the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And the way Mark writes it, he uses the feminine pronoun who. He's, what he's saying is, who's the woman that just touched my garment? And you realize as Mark writes this, oh, <laughs> Jesus isn't really asking a question. He knows the answer. And then the disciples, they can't resist. Well, Jesus, come on. It's all these kinds of people pressing in around. How, how can you even ask? And then 32, and he looked around to see who had done it. And the reality is Jesus knew exactly who it was. And he, and he stopped the traffic and all the tension of the moment to get to Jairus' daughter. And he stops. The way Mark writes it, the way Luke writes it, it's as though he turns and sets his gaze on the woman. The woman, 
verse 33, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth, told him the whole story. You know, that story everyone's been tired of listening to over 12 years. It's all the drama, all the heartache. Jesus sees, stops, and listens. And then he says a, a pretty amazing thing. He says to her in verse 34, said to her, daughter, it's a term of endearment, by the way. Daughter, your faith's made you well. Go in peace. It's what he said to the storm. It's what he did for the man that was possessed by the legion of demons. And he says to her, peace. And be healed of your disease. You, you've been delivered. Your faith has delivered you. It's made you well. Now, he, here's, the, here's the deal. She came for this transactional thing. If I could just get there, if I could just, just grab a little touch of the garment, sneak back out. But Jesus stops. He transforms this into this personal connection. She gets way, 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 way more than she bargained for. Now, listen. Mark here is not giving us a definition of what faith is. He's giving us a picture of faith. The most meager, helpless faith. A faith that probably is not even, doesn't even fully understand or comprehend what in the world it is that just happened. But all she knows in this is if I can get to him... It wasn't faith in the garment. It wasn't faith in her touch. It wasn't faith in her faith. It was him. That man, it was a meager faith placed in the powerful and mighty object of faith. And that's who Je Who is this then? That's who he is. That if you can look his way, reach out just hoping to touch because you believe your hope is he can do something no one else can do for me he is my only hope that that's faith that that's how you're made well oh she'll Learn way more about Jesus in the days and the years to come. Always remembering he saved her. Continues to. Well, the news comes. We'll wrap up. The news comes. The daughter's dead. And everybody says, don't waste, don't waste his time anymore. Jesus ignored all of that and looked at Jairus and says, listen, don't be afraid. Just believe. Don't despair. Keep on believing. 
The man had exercised faith in coming to Jesus, believing that he could and would restore his girl to health. Now that she's dead, Jesus says, despite the hopelessness that it seems, I want you to keep believing. Keep believing. Who is this man then that the wind and the waves obey him? Well, he's the man who has power and authority over demons, power and authority over disease, who is able to save. And Jesus is going to demonstrate he has power and authority over death. Death is not final. So he says these words, talithakun, which isn't magic. It's compassion. It's a little girl. I say to you, arise. And he takes her hand, this little lifeless hand. And commands her to get up. And then in verse 42, immediately, no passage of time, she gets up and the parents welcome her back into the world. And they're beside themselves. And then Jesus says, don't tell anybody what happened in here. That's why I called the crowd and just brought a couple of you, brought the parents, brought three disciples. Oh, this is for you. The, the, the time hasn't come yet when all death is going to be over, overcome, overturned. So Jesus certainly brought people back from the dead. It, we, we know their names. But it wasn't time for all death to be undone, but it was the time that the kingdom of God was showing itself, coming into this kingdom of a broken world and reclaiming, this is mine. And I will undo all that has been done. And he can restore these three people. Who is this? This is the one who's going to go to the cross and in his nakedness and isolation in the pain that he endures and the in the sickness and the death that will come upon him. He will step in and take each of their places, be their substitute. He's our substitute too. For every sin, every shame, every guilt you have, he took upon himself. Past and present, the ones you sit here with right now, the ones that are to come in the future. And says, I have authority over those. Peace. Be still. Be made well. And then ultimately, he'll say, Talithakum, rise. Mark answers, who is this man? He's the man who came to save. The man who has the power and authority to save. And nothing, nothing stands on its own two feet in his presence. Whether demonic or disease or death, they will bow before him. And so in this, Mark is saying, come, follow Jesus. Follow him. Who is he? He's the Son of God. Follow him. Get to him. 
Whether it's from afar and you need to run. Whether he's there and you're sneaking up behind him and he's going to catch you. You come and you bow before him. So you're my only hope. Mark wants you to come. Follow him. Be made well. Have you done that? Are you continuing to do that? It's what it means to be a disciple. What it means to say, I've trusted in him and I continue to trust in him. Come this morning. If you would, would you bow with me and let's, let's pray. Father, I ask that you would do this in our lives. We can't you glimpse. Maybe there's somebody here this morning saying, I, who is this man? What is this thing all about? And Father, I, I pray that you would open their eyes this morning, grant them, grant them faith, however meager it is. To come, to reach out to you, to be made well. Well, it's not transactional, it's relational. Father, you see, you hear. Every single one of us, you look straight into our lives. And you see the storm and the chaos, and you announce over it peace. And so, I pray, Father, we'd be those that hear and obey and believe. Maybe some for the first time. Maybe some this morning all over again. So we ask you to do this, God. Draw us to your Son, Jesus, and do that by the power of your Spirit. Pray your word this morning would not return void in our lives. Amen.